Hey guys, welcome back to yet another episode of Just Baate. For those of you who don't know, Just Baate means to just talk, and that's what we do here. We talk about sports, politics, science, technology, and everything and anything in between. And today we've got a very special guest with us. But before that, Ashwin, say hello. Hello. So here's the deal, right? He is a absolutely jaw-droppingly good chef. He's an incredible artist. He also has a shoe collection that I die for. But He's not here for any of those things. He is into a profession that's quite rare, that's not talked about, but certainly is very important. Now he is from LA, so he's from America, and all the way from LA, his name is Kevin. So, what's up? Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going good, buddy. It's going good. Thank you for being here. It's an honor. Thank you for taking your time in a Saturday yeah. morning. Yeah, th- thanks for having me on. It's kind of a uh, um... It's kind of crazy, twelve and a half hour difference, but you know I'm glad. It yeah. <laughs> cool. So Kevin, uh, obviously we know that you're an environmental engineer. So first of all, can you just explain to us what is environmental engineering and uh, what kind of role does an environmental engineer play? Um. So an environmental engineer in California kind of plays the role of making sure that companies and um, Businesses follow certain EPA protocols, which is the Environmental Protection Agency in America, along with other governmental uh, compliance issues, uh, whether it be the Air Quality District or the Stormwater District. We're here to make sure that businesses aren't throwing away their chemicals down the drain or producing too much ambient dust or chemicals in um, their area that surround their business. So my role is mainly to provide um, our company, which is a construction company, the procedures and protocols to maintain these level of compliances with the government. Have they not maintained compliance, we can get fined, we can get billed. Um, we're just trying to do our part in terms of um, having an environmentally sound business where we're not contaminating the world around us because um, that's kind of something that we led to during the industrial era that we're kind of cleaning up now. Uh Uh-huh. That sounds really nice. I mean, the kind of stuff you do, ensuring that uh, all the norms are met. And uh, could you just tell us how hard or how difficult is it to make sure that these norms are uh, sort of maintained and that kind of thing? Um, it's, it's definitely a challenge because, um, the, the mindset of people in America is like, uh, that, oh, it's not my thing to worry about because, you know, some people take care of it, but the issue is kind of being informative and educating my coworkers and other, uh, clients and businesses that, hey, these are things to worry about because, you're preserving the city for generations to come. It's not just the actions of today, but how it affects um, everything else. You know, the whole point yeah. of the Clean Water Act um, of 1972 was, oh yeah, we can't dump things into the rivers or the lakes because it affects the ecosystems and eventually it gets down to the ocean and causes problems there. So having a frame of mind to think that, oh, the actions of my business pouring things down the drain are important kind of helps educate everyone and get them on the same level about caring about the earth. Yeah. And uh, obviously, because of the kind of stuff you do, 
does it sometimes infuriate you to see people polluting and you know in general not following protocols yeah it's it really is kind of um difficult and kind of getting people up to the same speed but being that i kind of studied it and i know yeah. the repercussions of those actions i don't think people are as aware of the situation i mean yeah, the main thing right now that um globally we're trying to worry about is climate change and the r- rising of temperatures and things like that and the fact that some people just deny it or aren't really willing to be educated by science um kind of it's very discouraging but if anything it kind of motivates me a little bit more that i need to try harder and kind of embrace um the new generation of people learning like hey like this is something important and you it's going to affect your families to come yep so it's yeah it's definitely it's definitely difficult dealing with those people yeah it's a really nice answer that you've given because my next question is going to be about uh, what sort of in, inspired you to get into environmental engineering but as you said uh, sort of saving uh, you know the environment for the future generations and sort of everyone to come right yeah so, yeah i think that's there and ashwin i think if you can ask the next set of questions as yeah, we get so, into uh, this topic yeah so i'm going to go along the lines with what you said businesses so I want to narrate a story by an environmental engineer herself her name is Ursula Salmon she's from Tasmania Australia so she narrates a story of how she went to a barren land in Tasmania and saw stains and colors on the fields so she asked her dad what it was all about because she compared the stains to uh, someone dropping a bowl of paint or drawing a sunset whatever and her dad said that because he is into the field of mining he said because there's a lot of construction that happens all the uh, all the uh, minerals from under the soil come on top of the surface and they actually mix up so there's an acid form the mixture of air and those minerals form acid so even the rivers and lakes around were different in colors smelled awful so this is what inspired her to be become an environmental engineer so my question to you is that do you think companies and businesses especially businesses that uh have something to do with construction have changed about how they do their process how they ex- how they dig up or how they do you think they have environment in mind while going through whatever they have to do i i think places that have large ecosystems or kind of local nature environments really care about how construction affects them um being that i live in california and kind of belong to the west coast Seattle and Washington and Oregon and Portland and all these places that are along this coast have really stringent environmental um protocols and procedures about their construction industry um even in LA a lot of the construction industry is about trying to adapt these environmental things is like if you remove soil from the ground that's contaminated with either high metal concentrations high um VOCs volatile organic compounds or they have these other two categories called non-RICRA and RICRA that have you know just anything from arsenic or cesium or just high levels of nickel things like that you can't just place it back into the ground you have to dispose of it properly and we're 
trying to educate the industry in understanding why this is important. On the counterpoint to that, a lot of you go across the state line to Nevada and they don't have these things. You know, even my company is from Chicago and they don't understand why we have to do these things. They're like, oh, just throw it back into the ground. And you can't do that because it's pitch black as tar and it smells like chemicals. And so I think it, it, even though we've kind of been doing this for maybe half a century, we still have a lot to learn in getting everyone up to speed about how they are impacting the world around them. And like how you were saying about the uh, engineer from Tasmania, you know, I'm sure that affects the ecosystems around those construction areas, just not by how the color change of the surface, but you're saying the um, is creating an acid on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. So it creating an acid on the surface could have multiple effects with, you know, water sources or animals that drink that kind of uh, material or even like walk across it could do stuff to um, their skin. And it's those things that I think as an environmental engineer that you kind of have to think about and contemplate because the person running the piece of heavy machinery or engineering the project isn't really thinking about how the natural world is being affected by you know their development because they are moving a lot of dirt they're using different chemicals they want to build something there but you kind of have to be worried about the world that's already built there and established that's kind of the important part because she also goes on to narrate about how after she goes through the temperate forests that are there in Tasmania, she she she's welcome to a barren land which she wasn't expecting but i also have a follow-up question to what you said so there is this theory called the niche construction theory which suggests that human beings are the ultimate ecosystem engineer which basically means that we do different things for example migrate or have have farmlands and uh have animal farms for example that imbalance the ecosystem so one do you agree with that and second if you look at the other perspective i don't it's not my opinion but just looking at the other perspective saying that i don't necessarily uh, agree with this because animals do what they need to do to survive and we are doing what we need to do so first do you agree with the imbalance and second what do you think about the other perspective other side of the world um i i think that human beings if you just look at the globe how drastic we've changed the landscape there's um i know in america there's shopping malls everywhere there's huge large tarmacs of asphalt and parking lots and we've kind of taken that area from the natural world if you go to other places like in south um like southeast asia or even asia in general a lot of the um areas have been deforested because you know you're making way for um places for people to live and so a lot of like the jungle areas are being reduced down and habitats and populations of those um, ecosystems are diminishing and they're slowly and slowly um, kind of being um pushed back i was watching uh dave attenborough's what is it called the life we live now on netflix and yeah it was talking about how like i think it was in borneo like it 
the reduction of the rainforest they had is down to like half the size. And because of that, you know, you have a diminishing ecosystem. And being that human beings are at the top of the food chain, we can basically eat and kill whatever's on the planet. We have a huge responsibility for how we're making everything um, the way we want, right? But because we also have that power, maybe we should be concerned with, you know, the other animals that are on the earth as well, because we're subjecting them to all of our um, actions, you know, and they don't, they don't have the forces to fight us. They're the, the gorillas in the jungle aren't going to fight back, you know, the tigers in Asia aren't going to push their jungles further by, by killing people or anything of that matter. So it's like we have so much power on this earth that everything has to bend to our whims. But because we have power, we should also be, in a way, um, self-aware and merciful of how much stuff we take because, you know, the earth gives us so much that we shouldn't be as, um, I guess, uh, just overbearing, you know, it, it, it's, it's an ecosystem that we, we all live in that kind of matters. Yeah, fair enough. For those of you who don't know, for those of you listening, there's a show on Netflix called A Life on Our Planet. You guys need to check it out. It's it's heartbreaking of sorts. Yeah. Now, go. Cool, cool. I'll get on with the question. So, frog skin is used for antibiotics. And so, this is how I got in touch with Kevin. I saw news of how 300,000 sharks were being killed for the vaccine, for the corona vaccine. And it became a headline because of corona, right? Because of the virus that it is. And what's causing it to the world. So that's why it became the news. But tell, the fact is there are more fishes and animals, in fact, being used for cosmetics than medicine. Yeah. Now, my yeah. question to you is that, do you think, oh, so, and by the way, because of this 300,000 sharks news, there were a lot of riots and protests and whatnot. Yeah. And I was, even I was naive about it, but apparently these sharks aren't killed just for that. These sharks are killed because of poaching and other use like i said yeah. cosmetics and the liver oil so the vaccine needs the liver oil is extracted after it it's so they're not just killing the sharks for one vaccine but for a lot of uses but my question to you is that do you think there needs to be a line drawn of how much we can harm the animal kingdom because uh one if we do use it for medicine so it is medicinal usage but do you think there needs to be a line drawn but if so like how do we know where the line is. Mm, uh, yeah, I, that's a, it's a very difficult question because um, there's so many like parts about it uh, that are uh, that are like very polarizing. But I, I find that yeah. you know, being that it is that we're kind of poaching these sharks for their liver to advance this coronavirus vaccine. You know, that's definitely made it a huge headline. But in that light, uh, like the Chinese people have been poaching sharks just for their fins. They basically lift up these sharks, cut their fins off and throw them back. And they've been doing this for, you know, as long as time. And recently, um, I think it was Yao Ming kind of, he did a whole publicity telling 
the Chinese people, like this is where your shark fin soup comes from. And because of that, there's been a huge reduction in shark poaching because just the demand for it has like diminished. And I think it's our responsibility to kind of figure out where that line is. But in a way, it's because we worry about humanity and saving human beings uh, a little bit too much in the fact that we're sacrificing sharks so that way humans can live, right? Um, but it's kind of a struggle. It's like, oh, do you, it's like the, are you guys, uh, um, what is it? Uh, do you guys know the um, kind of thinking problem where it's about a train and it's like the train is headed? Oh, yeah, there are two tracks. Yeah. 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 So do you, do you change the track for these humans or do you change the track for yeah. the sharks, right? It's like, which one do you sacrifice? And obviously, human beings have this inherent quality about them of humanity. And it's like, oh, every human being should be saved every living human being deserves a chance to survive and stuff like that but then what about these sharks lives you know they're swimming around in the ocean they don't know about us and all of a sudden they get picked up by fishermen and killed and gutted because we want to live i think it comes back to the point that human beings have so much power and with with great power comes great responsibility a la spider-man you know <laughs> yeah. so i think it's that kind of balance that we need to achieve where that line is i don't know how you govern that that's really difficult uh, where, where do you guys think the line is drawn like in the sand i think the line needs to be drawn depending on what the necessity is so if it's medicinal usage i think i'd go with that but the fact that there are more animals being killed for cosmetics is absurd mm. I find yeah. that I find that ridiculous. So I think that's the line I draw. If it's a necessity, it'd be okay with it. I think I'm not really sure. But the num just the number of 300,000 sharks is yeah. But again, it comes down to uh, you know the kind of uh, medicines that we use because I'm sure there are alternatives, right? To instead of you know maybe using sharks there could be vaccines developed without the use of sharks by sort of artificially coming up with uh, antibiotics and that kind of stuff. So it's a very, it's a sort of a gray line. Yeah. Yeah, one of the alternative I've read was instead of using the livers of sharks, use the animal. And I didn't think that was a great alternative because what are you doing with, like you're sacrificing one animal instead of the other. It didn't make mm -hmm. all that sense to me. But, yeah. you know, there's, so like you said, you're from America and there is a study in America done by the Environment Policy Alliance. And they say that the environmentalists in today's world exaggerate of how much we human beings are degrading the environment because this is a quote by George Wald. He claimed that civilization will end within 15 or 30 years unless immediate action is taken against problems facing mankind. And this was in 19... 70 which is 50 years ago and then there was a quote by, by life magazine which said that by 2000 we'll have to wear gas masks and whatever so this was again a study done in 1970 or 75 and the quality in air in america especially have improved in the last 20 years the carbon emission have reduced so these are studies that are done and the results are in front of me again for those of you who don't know environment environmental policy alliance so you can go to that site what do you 
still think do you think the modern day environmentalists are exaggerating of how much we are actually affecting the environment mm. that is that is kind of a difficult thing to have that um that site forward but i guess in hindsight it as an environmentalist i think you have to worry about the worst case scenario you have to present a case that if we don't at least back down a bit that this could happen it's almost like you know a doomsday sayer where they're always like oh the world's going to end and things are going to be terrible and i mean in some areas you don't see that but you know a lot of areas in america are super arid um i know on the west coast for this past couple months during the summer our entire like mountain range was on fire like we were living like i would check my weather app and it would say smoke and we had terrible air quality for a, a certain amount of time and i don't know if that's caused specifically by the environmental changes and global warming but you have bigger storms on the east coast more frigid cold zones in kind of areas like new york and you just have this rapid like change in severe climate that i think may be a result of that but it's difficult to say you know if that's what's happening and i think it's a real difficult challenge for environmentalists to tell you to worry about something 50 years from now you know or even like a decade in advance you know it's like if, if someone were to say like oh hey like you should you should worry about where you live in the next 20 years do, would would you take them uh very seriously if you didn't see the kind of evidence that was presented in front of you immediately and like the results uh honestly even if the evidence was presented 20 years is way too long <laughs> i think yeah. to worry about yeah so yeah i don't think i would take it seriously uh kevin also you know you spoke about sort of the procedures that are followed uh in the company in the construction stuff and uh, has anything changed over these years in in you know in the sense uh comparing maybe 10 years before and now have there been changes to uh, kind of help improve the conditions with regards um, to environment um in my industry of construction there's been a lot of emphasis in terms of stormwater protection so protection during the rains and air quality protection um which kind of is doing these specific procedures for different types of material so say for instance we were doing construction and we would remove a pipe that would have asbestos in it right well you know circa 50 years ago and beyond asbestos was a miracle material only till recent research and developments decades ago did it decide like oh this causes major health problems of mesothelioma and stuff so procedures we have that are based on environmental procedures is we have to kind of have an abatement crew we can't have it along a public road or anything where there's a lot of foot traffic and we have to take these extra precautions yeah they're extra steps they're difficult and they're costly but at least we're doing it in the proper way other things for like stormwater um we have to when there's an incoming storm we have to cover our chemical supplies or our materials we have to set up bmps which are called best uh, managerial practices 
which include like covering our storm drains, putting straw waddles around our borders that are basically sediment barriers and kind of um, reducing our track out and chemical spills. And that's hugely important and developed in the past couple of decades because of that Clean Water Act is we don't want to contaminate our ecosystems and our water supplies because that runs straight into the ocean down the LA River, which is just a large concrete channel as is, and it affects our wildlife. You know, there was um, for a while, you know, you couldn't swim in the oceans because all the fish were dead and there was basically raw sewage and polluted material that was just going out into our oceans. And it was terrible and people didn't want that. So that's when I think the emphasis on having a conscious effort of environmental needs was placed forward. And I think it's that education to people and businesses and companies that was very uh, important in changing our outlook. You know, um, is there a kind of a development in India where they're pushing towards more environmentally conscious uh, business and construction uh, procedures? Well, uh, I'm not too sure about uh, the kind of construction and the kind of uh, policies they have regarding that. But uh, at the more uh, basic level, I feel the students are being more sort of made aware of uh, how to go about things with regards to the environment. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely do feel that it is improving. But again, it's mm -hmm. a very long process and it's not something that can change overnight. So yeah. it's going to be tough, obviously. And also considering things like the population and uh, the kind of, uh, you know, differences between wealth of the rich and the poor. There's lots of things to factor in, but I feel that uh, if education is sort of the key here, right? Because more, the more people who know about, uh, who are made aware about the environment, the better it is in the long run. Yeah, yeah, it is a very slow process. And, you know, yeah. it'll it'll take a while to develop. And I think that's, that's why it's so difficult. It's like growing a, a tree or a plant. It's it takes time. True, true. And uh, also, Kevin. Although this might sound kind of obvious, uh, how's the awareness of people? Maybe not our generation, but a generation before us. How do they perceive this whole climate change thing? And and do they still kind of believe it to be a hoax, or have people started realizing that no, it is true and it is happening? Um, I think it comes down to the, uh, the populations that you talk to. I know a lot of people in the Midwest and in the South and kind of, uh, more in the red States don't really believe in it, but a lot of the people who are, I, I guess on the coast or in New York, they're very concerned with it. And I think it comes down to the idea is your ability to be open-minded and to embrace change. A lot of the people who are climate change deniers or don't think that uh, worrying about the environment is important, they're the people who don't want to change their ways. You know, they, they're, they're the people who will tell you, oh, I've been in this business for 30 years, 20 years, and I've done it this way the entire time. Why am I going to change? And I think it's that like stubbornness and almost like being arrogant about your knowledge that is ultimately uh, their downfall, you know? 
it's kind of hard to deal with the generation before us uh, because it's 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 you're trying to educate them you know i always have that that, like like no one in the world likes to be called stupid right yeah yeah like if if you call someone stupid they immediately get like angry with you and they're they're defensive yeah exactly Yeah. yeah so when you try to educate a person it's kind of subtly telling them that hey you're you don't know about this stuff and i do right not to say that being uneducated is bad because you know people you talk to about people i talk to about the environment they could probably teach me something you know but in a different subject but i think it's like no one wants to feel stupid and that like oh you're trying to teach me something like well i'm going to teach you something right and it's really hard you know i'm sure you guys being so young being 20 years old i'm sure talking to people who are 50 or 60 and trying to teach them something is really difficult right yeah definitely (laughs) Yeah. yeah so a lot of my coworkers are that same age and i'm i'm 30 and it's like it's like wow like how do you how do you not get this like i'm trying to draw these two points and it's it's very difficult you know we all have we all have uh, moms and dads and parents and older brothers who are all trying to teach down you know like oh i know better than you right and you do all the studying and all the learning and you're seeing the world grow at a rapid pace so we have the most information that we do now right before you had to go to libraries and stuff and learn about this but now you could be an expert in a subject in, you know, a matter of weeks, if not months, and and be able to, like, teach people at least a little bit about something. But, yeah, it's it's really hard because they're – I think the previous generation is in a different mindset, and that's ultimately what affects them. But, you know, there are people who are aspiring, like, you know, you have your Bill Gates and your Elon Musk, and you have, you know, environmental cons- – or um conservationists and stuff who are like david attenborough you know he's he's huge and he's 95 imagine seeing it life through his eyes and how how it's changed wild yeah you make complete sense and ashwin i think you're a big fan of david attenborough <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> i have i have a follow-up question to that we talked about the older generation but there are a lot of people in our generation who deny climate change and come up with research and studies that, of course, climate change is inevitable, but the effect we have is less according to their study. Or even if it's not, they don't care as much because, like I said before, we humans do what we need to do, like other animals do what they need to do. What do you, like, if you were to present yourself in front of groups like that, what, how do you think you would change their mind? Um... I would think I would show them I, I would show them a map of America from you know like say the 1600s till now and basically show the developments and kind of all the construction and how much how many states we've acquired and just all the development and that's how much we've kind of changed that entire landscape in 400 years you know can you imagine what we'll do in the next hundred years with the technology and the power that we have and how that'll affect 
the world even more. It's very difficult to get people who are our generation on board with climate change. But I think it comes from the same point of being uneducated and just being stubborn with their ideas, you know, where they're like, oh, there's even more ice in the Antarctic now. Or like, you know, like, oh, what about this ice? Meanwhile, there's like polar ice caps melting and like the faces of these mountainsides in Greenland are just completely sheared off, you know, that haven't been that way in the past half century. And I, I don't know, I, I, I contribute it to these environmentalists or scientists who are selling their souls for, for cash, who help support these claims, you know, those, those people who are like, oh, yeah, you know, Coca-Cola isn't related to childhood obesity and things like that. You know, people who bend and twist the narrative so that way it supports a company, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. But I think as a scientist or someone from a, a background of technology, engineering, mathematics, and stuff, you need, your sole job is just to find the truth. What's the truth out there? And to present that to the world, and not be biased or anything like that. And I think that would help the future generations of seeing that. Yeah, fair enough. I totally agree. Because like you said, people need to be shown what the truth is other than the half-hearted narratives that's just been shown to the world, at least to most of the world. Pratip, do you have anything to ask? Uh, One final question, Ashwin. Do you have anything left? No, no. Go on with your final question. Okay. So, obviously, uh, before we wrap up, Kevin, I want to know uh, what kind of message would you send to maybe people who are aspiring to become environmental engineers and what should they strive to achieve? Um, to the aspiring engineers and the people who care about the world, um, you guys are, the reason why you guys are trying to be uh, the people that you are and following this path is because you care about the world. The world is everyone's home. We should all take participation in cleaning it up. Um, you may not receive the glory of and kind of uh, um, what is it awards of people who do things in a shorter time, but this is like a long-standing career. You know, you're kind of making the self-sacrifice for the greater good of kind of pushing things forward and pushing the envelope of caring about the world. Um, I understand being an environmental engineer isn't very cool or hip or like being a celebrity or a YouTube influencer, but you're needed in the world, you know? It's uh, it's part of the ecosystem that matters. Uh, And I think, you know, just you got to be full, full hearted in what what you believe is your calling and what you care about in the world, you know, not be distracted by all this glitz and glam and fame and whatever's trending, you know, because at the end of the day, the earth has been trending the longest, so you kind of have to care about it in some way. Very well put. And I really love the line, uh, the earth has been trending the longest. I think that puts everything into perspective. And, Rather, you know, before, yeah. before, because go on, go on. just for fun, 
because I quoted people from the 1950s, uh, 70s and 80s. I'd want you to give a quote on how the world will be. How, how do you think the world will be after 20, 30 years so that 20, 30 years down the line, someone can look back at our podcast and listen to your quote. So how do you think the world will be 20, 30 years down the line? 20, 30 years? Huh. Um, I think in 20, 30 years, I don't know. Hope, hopefully we get these flying cars going. I've yeah. Ah. Like, you know, since Back to the Future. What, what's exactly. going on? Yeah. Right? But yeah. I, or, or at least Blade Runner status, I'm thinking, you know. But even if you look at those kind of futures, it's really metals and technology and stuff. And that mm-hmm. requires what fracking and kind of taking more from the earth and become super barren. I think, I think what's going to happen is eventually we'll probably have to put all our agriculture indoors and that way it's like grown in a lab so we can produce more without taking more land. Uh, but I think America in terms of the cities, you'll see bigger metropolises, very dense populations. You know, um, we already have like a, a really bad problem with like our our uh, apartment structures and the homeless and things like that. But I think yeah, I think somewhere near Blade Runner is about right. Maybe not <laughs> a futuristic. Yeah. It's kind of you know headed that way, at least with the cities. But I mean, you could always move inwards and kind of live in a little bit more nature areas but i don't know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult hopefully there's less fires and stuff like that what about you guys what 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 is the what is the outlook for for india in 50 to 70 years from your perspective you know you guys are you guys are so young as is like sky's the limit right i don't know if you've seen the movie but have you seen the movie the lorax it's an animation movie Oh, the, the, the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see the world exactly the way the movie presents. All plastic and. Oh. Yeah. I mean, Very that's... extreme. <laughs> <laughs> that is extreme, but that's exactly how I look at it. Oh. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. like, you know, if we could develop plastics where we're not deriving it for petroleum, that'd be great, you know? It's all about oh, yeah. finding those yeah. alternative um, materials, you know, instead of gutting these sharks, why can't we synthesize it in a lab, you know? Exactly. How, yeah, like, or, or like another huge thing that we're kind of, it's kind of weird in America we're dealing with right now, I don't know if we're, you're dealing with it in India, is the idea of like lab-grown meat, like, and the, like, what is it? It's, um, uh, what is it? It's like plant-based proteins and stuff. So, oh, let me ask you a question. So, are are you guys both um, are are you guys are any of you guys Hindi? Hindi is a language. Hindu is a religion. Yeah, both okay. of us are Hindus. Are you? Oh, so both of you guys are Hindu. Do you guys both? Do you guys eat meat, like beef? So Ashwin eats meat, but <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. But you you don't it's... eat beef, right? No. Would you eat Ashwin? Would you eat plant based? ground beef um i don't think so because i've never really eaten meat so there's no i don't have the need for it maybe ashwin does 
I don't think I would. Oh, really? Oh, well, because, I mean, the whole idea is that, like, oh, you're not supposed to eat from a cow, but it's basically something that's grown in a lab. And the reason why it's important in America right now is because our our agriculture of growing beef is so detrimental to our environment. It's really crazy. It's like um, if we all switch to plant-based meat, it would reduce the amount of water that we need by like 97%. And it would also reduce a lot of like the pollutants that go along with agriculture and kind of the cruelty that we use to our animals. But I was, I was just kind of a question that kind of ran through my mind because it's supposed to be yeah, a think... specific one. I think I would if I know that, that there aren't any side effects or things like that because it's chemically engineered. I wouldn't completely trust it, and that's my only problem with it. But if uh, there aren't any side effects, then if it's a, if it's healthy, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, of course, it it uh, it's gonna take a while. I yeah. see, I think China's already doing something like this where. Uh, vegetables like cabbage and that cauliflower and that kind of stuff i think they're growing it artificially so it, it's definitely out there and people are taking to it but again it comes down to uh, inhibitions regarding whether or not you want to trust something made from chemicals that's that's true you know yeah. so, so then i guess uh it's it, it's like um the idea that is it is it going to be safe for people you know uh, in, uh in exactly movie. yeah that makes that makes a that makes total sense yeah but, but i was i was just wondering if, if you would try it because i know it it's it kind of this gray area right now a lot of people who are like vegan and vegetarian really really love it because it doesn't come from an animal but it's some people are like i, I still don't want to eat meat you know like yeah but it's it's something that affects our environment a lot you know, but yeah, that, that's that's a great perspective that you guys are giving me. Yeah, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, Kevin, thanks a lot for being here and uh, thank I'm thank sure you everyone. so much, man. Thank yeah, you yeah. so thank so you, much for coming here. I appreciate you guys having me on. You know, um, you know, I hope the best for your podcast and for all your kind of goals and careers in life. Um, thank if you, you so want yeah, if you ever want to check me out, I have my own podcast, too, called Dipped in Nonsense. It's just mainly with my friends and stuff. Right now, we're kind of doing Halloween things and stuff. It's it's a little bit less intense in terms of science and education, but I, I do appreciate it in having the opportunity to kind of embrace this size. You know, you guys have been great hosts. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming in, guys. So check it out. Check his podcast out. Right. If... If you want to follow us, check out our Instagram. It's just dot party or just full stop party, whatever pleases you. And follow us there. Follow our podcast. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts, by the way. Pratip, do you have anything to say? Well, that's about it. Kevin, you've been great. And yeah, I think we can wrap it up. Awesome. Thank you guys. All right. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. So see right, ya. Bye. Take care, buddy. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.